Jesus said, there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we come to you once again asking you to be here with us right now in this place. We trust that you are here among us. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, the four-week season during which we prepare and wait for Christmas when we finally get to open our presents, I mean celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And usually, that's it, right? We sort of treat Advent like, uh, like the rumble strips on the side of the freeway. We're sort of getting tired, falling asleep, and we drift off to the side of the road, and all of a sudden, and jerked back awake. It's, Advent is the warning that Christmas is coming. This is how I generally treat Advent myself. It's not anything in and of itself. It's just a sort of a shout, hey, Christmas is coming. Don't forget to start thinking about your shopping list and making those travel plans and, dear God, start planning the Christmas Eve services. But we're jumping the gun. Advent is more than just the four weeks before Christmas. And understood properly, I think, Advent, this time of waiting, has immense value in itself. And it turns out, of course, that the reason that we don't like to focus on the waiting, to think about the value of Advent itself as opposed to just getting ready for Christmas, is that we don't actually like to wait. The evidence of this is all over the place. We've already started seeing ads on TV for the 2017 Chevys. Christmas stuff is up in the stores all around. We get all our emails delivered directly to our phones immediately. Our Fitbits tell us our heart rates as we exercise. Amazon.com will have any product in the world to you tomorrow if you pay for it. And I will be checking my own Amazon wish list multiple times a day in the next few weeks because I can't wait to see um, the things that I'm going to get for Christmas. We can't wait for anything. We refuse to wait. But now we've come this morning to this reading that has put sort of the screeching brakes on our mad rush to Christmas. We have this reading from Luke, and I want to give you just a second of context for where we are. Jesus and his disciples have finally come to Jerusalem, and they're at the temple. If you recall, two weeks ago, we read about them walking in and the disciples being amazed at the beauty of the temple. They walked in, it's sort of like they walked into the Sistine Chapel and looked up at the ceiling and said, wow. This place is gorgeous. And Jesus then says this thing that eventually got him in some hot water. He says, as for what you see here, 
the time will come when not one stone will be left upon another. Every one of them will be thrown down. And this, of course, shocks the disciples, and they understandably ask Jesus, when are these things going to happen? What's going to happen to this beautiful edifice, this wonderful building to the glory of God? How is it going to come down, and what's going to be the sign that it's happening? And just like that, the disciples are waiting. Jesus has basically said to them, something's coming. Something so profound that this amazing edifice will be completely obliterated. Not one stone left upon another. And the disciples say, oh, when's that going to be again? Can we get a warning? Can we get a heads up? And that's when Jesus launches into this lengthy description of those days and how to tell when all these things are going to come to pass. And our reading this morning comes sort of at the end of his description. When he says, there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations. Confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves, people will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, the people who planned out our readings have given us what they think we want, right? It's Advent, so all of our minds have already clicked over to Christmas. I even heard some Merry Christmases out in the narthex before church. We're just like the disciples, right? Jesus says, it's coming, and the disciples scream, when? How soon? Can it be here now? So we don't want to hear about the waiting period. We want to know what's going to happen when the waiting is over, We want to get to Christmas. And so we've been assigned a reading that ends sort of with the conclusion, with a very Christmassy idea, right? You all heard it. Now, when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Awesome. Stand up. Raise your heads. Your redemption is is drawing near. But hold on. Before Jesus talks about the end, which is the little section we have in our reading, he talks a little bit about the waiting itself. And for the record, this is from Luke 21, where our reading is, but from a few verses before our assigned reading. This is what Jesus says. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons You will be brought before kings and governors, all on account of my name. You will be betrayed, even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you, Jesus says, because of me. That, ladies and gentlemen, sounds a lot like today, 
And it's also why we can excuse wanting to look forward to Christmas, right? Who can blame the stores for jumping to Christmas when Jesus says that this is what the waiting is going to be like? Who can blame anyone, in fact, for wanting to jump over all men will hate you because of me to get to stand up and raise your heads for your redemption is drawing near? Jesus knows that the waiting will be rough. As Tom Petty said, the waiting is the hardest part. Now, it's the terrible parts of Scripture, the readings like this, that make me a Christian, actually. And this might sound uh, counterintuitive to you, but hang with me for a second. Uh, When the Ghostbusters are called into the mayor's office and they're asked to describe what might happen if Gozer is unleashed on the world, they try to describe it in biblical terms, right? They say, a disaster of biblical proportions, fire and brimstone coming down from the skies, rivers and seas boiling, 40 years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave, human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Billy Bob Thornton says much the same thing in Armageddon when he's asked what will happen if an asteroid the size of Texas impacts Earth. He says half of Earth's population will be incinerated by the heat. The rest will freeze to death in nuclear winter, basically the worst parts of the Bible. The worst parts of the Bible, like what we read today. And doesn't it seem like the worst parts are always the ones that are describing what we're having to go through right now? And the best parts are describing some hopeful future? But like I said, this is why I'm a Christian. Because the Bible knows what life is really like. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilences in various places, fearful events. Before all this, though, they will lay hands on us and persecute us. They will deliver us to synagogues and prisons. We will be brought before kings and governors, all on account of Jesus' name. Jesus knows what you're dealing with. Jesus is aware of what you are going through. He knows your struggle with your difficult child. He knows that dark secret that you have not even shared with your spouse. He knows that you're just one more underperforming month away from being fired. Jesus knows it, and he names it. Jesus is the ultimate tell-it-like-it-is guy. Remember the woman at the well? who got the tell-it-like-it-is treatment from Jesus about her five-plus husbands, but who then went back to her town and told everyone, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. There's no sugarcoating from Jesus, no power of positive thinking, just the truth about what real life is really like. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, husband against wife, brother against sister, family against family. Jesus knows that this life is hard. In fact, that it's 
impossible. That's why he came. The worst parts of the Bible are the ones that describe a world desperately waiting for a Savior. The waiting is the hardest part. And when the disciples pressed Jesus about when that time was coming, how long they might have to wait, he told them about the kinds of things that they'd have to wait through, but he didn't get specific. And ultimately, he says that no one but the Father knows the day or the hour. He's making them wait without giving them an end time. He wants them to get used to this idea of waiting. But why? Well, he's asking them and us to do something that we're no good at. He's asking us to wait. He's asking us to be passive. You see, passivity is the hardest thing for people like us to engage in. We are active by our very nature. We want to be involved in everything. We want to have a part to play. When we're confronted with a problem, we want to spring into action to try to solve it. We can't just be passive. We can't just wait. It's impossible. It's as though our very humanity is called into question if we're not doing something. Not acting makes us feel powerless. And that's why Advent is such a profound season. Advent is a time of passivity, a time when we wait. It's a time during which we come face to face with our own powerlessness, the truth that there's nothing we can do to force our own redemption. This really is the most valuable lesson we can learn during Advent. We learn that we must wait for a Savior from outside of us because we cannot be a Savior for ourselves. We have to wait. But in the end, the waiting, though it's the hardest part, opens the door to the best part. The good news is that we have a God who comes to us and doesn't ask us to get to him. We see the lack of anything to do as being impossible. It's like nails on a chalkboard for us. We can't stand the idea of not being able to do anything. But to have a God who doesn't give us anything to do is great. In fact, it's the greatest thing ever. It's the gospel itself. God comes to us. We don't have to get to him. God is the doer. God is the actor. We are the receivers. And for these four weeks, we'll try to grow accustomed to this idea. We celebrate Advent, the season of waiting, which is hard. But it's the best kind of waiting. Because at the end, a Savior is born. A Savior, a Redeemer, comes to us. And he's a Savior who knows what the waiting has been like. Who knows that the waiting is the hardest part. All we have to do, all we can do, is wait. He does the work. 
he comes to us. So stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Amen.